AIM is a podcast that connects women who are eager to grow in their relationship with God. Living out the living word of God each day. Okay, welcome back. Hey, Tina. Hi, Maria. How are you? I'm good. Nice to be recording another episode with you. Mm-hmm. We have a lot to unpack today. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so we'll jump right in. Um, so um, if you have read the title, you'd know that we're talking about Holy Thursday and, of course, the eve of Friday. And that is a very, very uh, <laughs> compounded event with so many things happening. So it starts with the... Um, in the morning of the Thursday, there's the whole idea of the liturgy of the waters and then institution of the Eucharist. And then at night we go into Gethsemane with Christ and we pray with him and uh, and then the, the official betrayal happens. So lots of things to unpack and through God's grace, we'll, we'll go through it one by one. So I thought we could just read maybe um, the passage from Luke 22 that institutes the whole narrative of the Passover and the, the supper. And then from there, we can kind of quote different areas. So this is uh, Luke 22 from verses seven, kind of all the way to 23. Uh, and of course, as as a general kind of theme in, in Holy Week, we read the same account, uh, sorry, we read the same story from all four gospel accounts, but for time's sake on this episode, we're just going to read one. Um, but again, we do encourage you to read from all of the accounts to get all the kind of highlights from different areas. So in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Luke 22 from verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you will say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the wine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do such a thing. Glory be to God forever. And we can stop here. And of course, we know the the story generally, but they start to question among themselves. Who is it, Lord? Is it me? Is it me? And then he says, it's whoever dips with me. And then they move on to Gethsemane. Okay. <laughs> so kind of first thoughts, anything? Um, I was trying to find, so I read somewhere that it was saying that Christ was even more hurt that it was his creation who was betraying him. Like if it was, if it was the enemy, then that would have mm. been one thing. But the fact that it's his his children or with our theme, like his bride, the church is the one betraying him. All of these people who um, attended his his gatherings and he fed them and loved them and 
all of the apostles, the priests, the like everyone in general was just betraying him. That is the biggest heartbreak. Um, mm. And we see that very clearly in tonight. Yeah. Yeah. His true inner circle, which fulfills all the prophecies spoken of and how the church relates all the prophecies and the readings to this is, is so amazing because um, earlier in one of the readings, it, he says like, if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote about me. But as you said, like the, the scribes and the Pharisees and all the people who pretended like they were so, so knowledgeable actually completely missed the point, but he's trying to open up their eyes to everything that was a perfect parallel. So all the lamb sacrificial kind of rites and rituals in the old Testament is now fully fulfilled in him. The lamb without blemish who is true sanctifying us by his life giving blood is truly sacrificed for us in Christ. I was reading something from St. Cyril of Alexandria. He was, um, he was talking about the, the idea of like, go find someone who's carrying a pitcher of water. I never really focused on that. Like obviously through tradition, we know that St. Mark and he leads them to the upper room and all that, but why specifically carrying a pitcher of water? And so St. Cyril says, maybe he told them this for two reasons. The first is maybe he didn't want to reveal the identity of the person, like by name, because Judas had already like in his heart and outwardly to the Pharisees on Wednesday Eve, he would like, he, he already betrayed Jesus. Right. So he already knew that he was like, he was going to give him away. And so if Christ had told them specifically this person at this house, at this location, maybe Judas would have gone to the Pharisees and kind of told them preemptively before the Passover happened. But then, you know, like in a couple of verses, he says, I fervently desired to have this Passover with you. So Christ is like making it a point to have this Passover before the true passion and remind me to like say another point about that after. But he, but St. Cyril says there's another reason, which of course, whenever you see water in the Bible, it's like a lot deeper than just a pitcher of water. So he says, Always. um, always, right. So of course it always, always links us to the Holy baptism because he says where there is water, there is the place of the lodging of Christ. So this man carrying a pitcher of water, going up to a house, this is where Christ will lodge. And this water will free us from all impurity. We're washed from the stains of our sins through the water. And then um, we become partakers of his divine nature by participation of the Holy Spirit. So then he says, in order, therefore, that Christ may rest and lodge in us, let us receive the saving waters, confessing moreover the faith that justifies the wicked and raises us up so that we can be an upper room. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I never thought about the water pitcher at all. Um, Me neither. But Saint, like you explaining, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And it also makes sense that he didn't want Judas to come before the Passover, because if he were to come before the Passover, not only would they not have had that, but also they wouldn't have gone to the garden. Um, And the garden is so important because it ties back to when Adam was in the Garden of Eden and when he sinned. Um, And then basically alluding back to Christ going to the garden of Gethsemane. Um, and he is basically triumphant over sins. So going back to the bridegroom Pascha sermons, I'm going to quote, I'm going to AP as always. Um, I couldn't say it as well as he did, but he says, Eden was the place of God where God and man dwelt together. And here was God again in Gethsemane, the place familiar to Christ. That's why Judas used it. He said, that's where he usually goes. And Adam was formed as an earthly man in that garden. And God became an earthly man in the garden in order to renew the spiritual man. And Adam, who was in the garden and hid himself and ran away from God and said that he was ashamed, our Lord presented himself to the Father and did not hide. 
and submitted himself. Adam's sins brought us into darkness. In Gethsemane, our Lord became the light in the darkness. Adam needed to be called by God. Christ tells them who he is. The Garden of Eden was closed through Adam, and through his through this new Adam, paradise was opened. Adam in the garden blamed his wife, and his wife blamed the serpent. Christ justified the guilty, the guilty in the garden, the centurion who Peter attacked. Adam blasphemed God, and Christ was blasphemed. Adam was comp- compelled to die, but Christ voluntarily died. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think one of my favorite things ever is all the parallels between Adam and Christ. Like it just tops everything because it just, it comes so full circle and it's so amazing. It's the whole recapitulation thing we were talking about way back from the incarnation series. But yeah, that was, that was beautiful. Thank you for quoting that. Um, so the point that I wanted to bring up is how, how humble he was in accepting this, this cup, you know, um, first mm. we see it when he's in the garden praying to the father and asking him to take this cup from him, if that is his will. So he's fully accepting, acceptant of this happening. But then you see it again when he's being asked what he has done when he's in trial and he's still silent. Um, he is, it's, it's not a silence of humiliation. It's a silence of acceptance. And mm. that part really hit me because he, he was just so, he was just so accepting of the situation, knowing exactly how terrible the next few hours are going to be, you know, he didn't have food and water for what 12 to 18 hours throughout the trial and like up to 24 hours by the time he was crucified. Um, and he like was just silently accepting his fate, which is so amazing to me. Like I know myself, (laughs) anytime I get accused of something, the second I hear someone accusing me, like I'm so quick to defend myself. I don't even let them finish, Mm -hmm. but he was just, so like silence is you don't really you don't really think that silence is as important as it is you know so yeah I thought that was really cool that's such a great point the whole thing of him offering willingly and accepting as you said um very very nicely to relate it to like the ninth hour prophecies of Genesis 22 with offering up of Isaac like Isaac was not a dumb person right like he and he tells Abraham at a certain point like here's the wood here's the fire here's the whatever where is the sacrifice and I I think he's like you know slowly coming to this realization but yet he actually carries the wood for his own sacrifice origin will say that he Isaac carries him carries the wood for his own holocaust and that this is a figure of Christ because he bore our burden on the cross um knowing that carrying like he he's being the sacrifice, but also being the person offering the sacrifice because the person who used to carry the wood was the priest. So he's doing the duty of the priest and the duty of the sacrifice at the same time. And that's exactly what we'll say in like fight of inf the um, one of the beautiful longer hymns of, of good Friday, where we see he who offered himself as an acceptable sacrifice upon the cross for the salvation of our race. So he's both the sacrifice and the one offering the sacrifice um, and like we say in Hebrews 12, where he says like, where he's the author and the finisher of our salvation, because for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So you're so right that he was a, a meek lamb who didn't revolt and didn't complain despite him being falsely accused, because there was a joy that was set before him before the cross. Wow. It's just, it's so filled with full circles. This entire yes. week it just makes you realize like how many prophecies are being fulfilled. Um, 
And even like, especially, especially in Psalms, when I read Psalms, I think it's just relating to David's life, but mm. it's so applicable to Christ's life as well. Like, for example, in Psalm 108, eight, he says, my enemies have approached me all day long. Those who this, um, deride me swear an oath against me. And you would think that that's just about how like David might've been hated by people, but it fits right. perfectly, especially today. Um, because those who Christ thought would love him, who he loved have hated him. Yeah, absolutely. It takes a whole new meaning. Yeah. And that he's willing to offer his blood to those people and to like offered for you and for many, right. As we always say, um, knowing that these many is well, everybody basically, but also just knowing that these people will sin and will continue to sin and will continue to reject him. And yet not letting that stop him. Um, but, but kind of preparing us from from Old Testament, like as, as St. Paul says, like the people of the Old Testament were like babies and they're growing in maturity of Christ, preparing them from the very, very beginning that the salvation is in the blood. So like Moses has to instruct the people to put blood on the doorposts so that evil, basically like the angel of death, does not enter into their houses. And then eating the, the lamb that, you know, is related to that blood so that they can be saved. So this idea prepared and, and brewing in their minds of, of the people of Israel all the way to Christ so they can actually see the, the fulfillment of it. That's also so interesting too, when Christ said, this is my body um, and this is my blood. And when he said that, and he meant it literally, he had so many people um, basically leave him because mm. they thought that he was, he was crazy for saying these things, but you see it in the old Testament. Like it's, it's been happening. They've been reading about it. They know about it. And so it, it's so interesting to me that despite knowing all of this, they still decided to leave him. Um, yeah. and despite the fact that like you were saying that it was brewing in their head. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the bigger, like the biggest prayers I'm, I'm focusing on this Holy Week is for God to open our eyes. Because as you said, there's so many prophecies and so many things that are linked up with the Psalms and everything. And sometimes we, we read them as separate stories. And yet I, I pray that God opens our eyes so we can see the link and how it's all fulfilled in Christ. Um, St. Gregory of Nyssa talks about this like blood on the doorposts. And he says that like there are three parts of our soul. Um, there's the rational part. And then there is the desiring part, which is aimed to like be properly oriented to desire God. And then there's the irascible part, which is like the get up and go part of our soul, which actually allows us to do something about this desire. So he he actually links the doorpost to these three parts of the soul. And he says that the two pillars on either side would be the irascible and the desiring. And that the top kind of connecting the two and being on top of the two is the rational or intellectual part of the soul. And so his idea is that if you actually orient this properly and you have like the two being subjected to the rational and intellectual, you can allow your soul to be trained um, for courage by the spirit and to be elevated in participation with the good to actually do good. Versus if you, if you reorient that, if you put like the rational down or you put the irascible part higher and you kind of like disrupt this doorpost and you don't like put the blood of the lamb on it, then you're no longer able to kind of control yourself to to do good and to orient yourself towards God. So his like it's it, this is so cool and like I'm probably not explaining it great, but it's in it's from the life of Moses. He's saying that the scripture is showing us that the blood of the lamb prevents the death from actually entering. And that if we orient ourselves to that, then we can actually AC all the like 
amazing things being fulfilled from the prophecies to God and B, actually participate in that good because the whole point of Holy Thursday is this double covenant, right? So God making a covenant with us and then us making the covenant back with him or responding to that. So that in Gethsemane, he says, I in them and they in us, right? Because it's it's like a two-way thing. I hope that made sense. <laughs> yeah, it did. And I, it brings back the concept of self-emptying, um, you know, kenosis, theosis, and how important it is for us to self-empty in order to become one with Christ and become one with each other, you know? Yeah, so he is, again, Abuna AP is saying the complete emptying um, oneself from another. And as the Trinity lived, so ought we to live in a complete emptying for one another. So it's not only us self-emptying for Christ to fill us, but it's also for us to be united together as one church. Beautiful which is only keep, like uh, able to be done through the Eucharist. And then we move on to the washing of the feet. So uh, he like finishes all of the Passover and he says, um, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Like that verse always stri- strikes me really hard because it's like, like, you, grammarly, like you, you have to kind of think about it. Like it says, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end, period. Like he was so over, overcome by this love so that during the supper, although the devil had already entered the heart of Judas, which is what is said in the next verse, he knowing this actually girded himself, rose up from the supper, laid aside his garments and started to wash their feet. And that's why we like move on to the liturgy of the waters in the rites of Holy Thursday. Um, I read this like really amazing quote that said, if in imitating Jesus, you kneel to wash another's feet, it is at this point that the towel with which you've wiped people's feet with can become Veronica's towel. So I don't know if people know this, but like in, in the um, in the walk of Christ from, you know, like out of Jerusalem to Golgotha, um, their, their tradition will tell us that like his face was so full of blood and he he fell at a certain point while carrying the cross and this beautiful woman named veronica just had a towel and wiped his face and ever since his face became like imprinted in that towel um but anyway the idea is that just like if you actually imitate christ if you do the same thing with you know the towel quote unquote um then then his face will be imprinted in that towel and that i think will just show in in every part of our life you know that we can imitate christ and so we can gain the same glory as christ and we can spread to people his love the way he did. I was listening to a sermon this morning by um, Abuna Ya'ub Magdi. Um, He's from Mm. Australia and he was talking about um, the washing of the feet and how when he was an early priest, like 30 years ago, there was this one man who just didn't like him and he didn't know why Mm. he really tried. um, And he, you know, anytime he would give in a sermon, like he would leave anytime. Like once he found out that Abuna Ya'ub Magdi is the one who's going to be doing the washing of the feet, he was like, he made an excuse to like try to get out of the church. And wow. so Abuna says that he takes the bucket and goes straight to him and is telling him like, let me just wash your feet. Um, and he is telling him, no, I'm sorry. Like I have to go. And he's like, basically, he's basically insisting on doing it. He's like, let me just do it um, as a sign of humility and ever since then, like the man would come to him and he would apologize, like he apologized to him and, and he would want to have dinner with him. And he was just like the dynamic changed so much just from Abuna displaying that sign of humility. Like these, these stories of people actually acting like Christ in the 21st century blow my mind. Yeah. But yeah. And it's, 
it's it's insane humility, but it's only done through participating with Christ. Like it's not, you know, to set a record, but it's truly to imitate him. So the more we partake of him and the more we participate in the Holy Spirit, the more he can actually enable this to be done for us. Like washing the feet is a very demeaning thing to do. Um, but yeah, full of humility, as you said. And Abuna Anthony Paul, not Anthony Paul, Anthony Musiha, sorry, um, was talking, he kind of just wanted to put it into perspective, like how dirty their feet mm-hmm. were back in the day, you know, it, like <laughs> they were wearing sandals, like plumbing wasn't the same as it was. Um, every, like to put it into perspective, it was basically really gross. So the fact that Christ was willing, like it was the, the responsibility of servants to be washing mm-hmm. their master's feet. And he took on that role, which he, like it's so important for us to serve um, and going back to humility, like he just really shows how important it is for us to serve despite how difficult it might be for us to do so. Um, Again, it was like really probably really gross for him to be washing his disciples feet. And yet he did it um, with joy. Right. Right. And to even remember that this dirt is supposed to symbolize our sin. So he takes the sin upon himself. He being the sinless becomes sin for us um, so that we can become the righteousness of God in him. Like crazy with St. Paul saying like buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith um, and you being dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him having forgiven all your trespasses literally wiped out the handwriting of our uh, requirements that was against us wiped out our disgusting feet um, and then he's actually given us all of all of this righteousness and has taken out all of the dirt and the sin having nailed it to the cross uh in in a book called Jesus the Bridegroom, which like Natalie got me on, and it's so so good. Uh, he speaks about like the different like the, the whole like story of the Passion and and how it starts from the wedding of Ken of Galilee and and Jesus telling Saint Mary, "My hour has not yet come." And then in the Last Supper, he knows that his hour had come, and his hour being like the hour of his Passion, like the time at which he will ultimately reveal himself. He emphasizes the point that the Eucharist had to happen or the last supper in general had to happen before the ultimate sacrifice on the cross on Good Friday, because he had to show us that this was completely out of his own will. And again, relating to the verse we mentioned earlier, that he had this fervent desire to partake of this Eucharist with the disciples, that this passion was completely a self-willed, like planned act that wasn't enforced upon him by people, wasn't enforced upon him by the cross. So he said that he literally gave us his body and blood before physically giving us his body and blood in on the cross um yeah so again just kind of linking to the idea of for his own will out of his own will and the pleasure of his father um, and we'll definitely have that book in the resources um because that's yes, a really that's good, a good book. idea we have a book review by Anne, one of our ambassadors um on oh, it right. and yeah she's I, once i saw it, i was like i have to read this book yes <laughs> so cool. you really really do and it's yeah it's available online through upper room media like it's it's really wonderful mm-hmm. um the last thing i wanted to mention was something i heard from this beautiful sermon on upper room by by uh someone from australia <laughs> his name is samuel um just to give him credit but um he's talking about the paraclete and like the prayer in Gethsemane on Friday Eve. And he says about how the paraclete also stands for kind of encouragement. And so he's here to give us courage. And he links it really nicely to how Peter, 
was telling Jesus, you know, before the Last Supper, I will never deny you. And, you know, counting on his own strength and his own power and self-will to never deny Christ. And then actually falling and denying Christ. And he imagines that like this would have been such a shame for Peter and such an embarrassing moment. Like imagine you being you making a, Christ, a promise to Christ and then completely falling from it. Um, but then he says that the reason why Christ is praying for them throughout like four straight chapters in John is to get this encouragement and this exhortation not to lose faith, even in the power, even if the power of darkness kind of overtakes us internally or externally. And he says this power of darkness is our propensity to fall, our propensity to sin. Um, so the idea that Christ knows that, you know, Peter will deny him. Christ knows that people who have partaken of his Eucharist, including me and you, will sin against him, but that we should never lose heart, even if we didn't fulfill our promise to God, because we have the Holy Spirit to encourage us and to bring us back. And regardless of how overwhelming the shame and, and the guilt that Peter must have felt, he he was actually able to approach Christ in this state of shame and guilt, which Judas was not able to do. And then that's all that matters, that Christ doesn't, like, I don't want to say it wrong, like it's, but he, it's not that he... He doesn't care how much we sin. He just cares that we come back to him in our state of sin. He doesn't want us to go to him in a state of perfection. Um, but actually coming to him as the only kind of person that God can work with, which is clay. So let's be clay. Yes, sure, full of mud and dirt, but be moldable. And uh, something that God can shape and fashion and speak to us through because God can actually work and save anybody who has a sincere desire to be saved. Um, so I just, I know it's like a side comment, but I found it really encouraging because especially in Holy Week, as as you said, like, I don't take, I'm not as humble as Christ. I don't take false accusations as easily as Christ. My asceticism and like fasting, like zero, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm standing in church and I'm getting distracted. And like, you know, especially later on during Holy Week where like Christ is dying on the cross and I'm like thinking about food and I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> <my brain's laughs> Actually. Um, but like not not to be a cop out, you know, like statement, but just to understand that Christ will accept me in whatever state I'm in, even if I've denied him like Peter three times, he will accept me. Just go to him and um and this this perfect union and this this perfection process happens through the Eucharist, happens through all the covenant that happens through Holy Thursday. And just um yeah, he just wants us to be there and moldable in front of him. Oh, I think that's so encouraging to be reminded of. Especially yeah. in a world where we feel like we're just terrible and we're straying away from God and we feel like God isn't going to forgive us. So hearing that, yes. it is like super, super encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was really, it was really nice to hear from you. Uh, thank you for listening. We hope that you are having an amazing and blessed Holy Week. And we pray that you pray for us uh, and for the service during Holy Thursday and that we all really, really learn to be in this covenant with Christ back and forth, back and forth. Maria, do you want to pray for us? <laughs> sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, our eternal bridegroom and savior, we thank you for the, the insane things, Lord, that you have established for us on this day. We thank you for giving us your body and blood. The, the biggest gift that a bridegroom could give his bride, the church, because through it, we can participate in you and we can become a mini version of you. And we can be completely and utterly united with you, Lord. Lord, let us understand the implications of that. Let us understand what it means to be, to be you walking around in this world. And from, from that, allow us to 
learn from your humility and allow us to learn from your love and allow this Eucharist to be the source of everything. And from it stems all the fruits that you you have for us, all the fruits that you've demonstrated to the disciples and that we should be demonstrating to the world. Let us imitate you, Lord. And let us also be encouraged, Holy Spirit, as you always encourage us, as you always comfort us, that whenever we do fall, you are here, you are willing to help, you're willing to convict, you're willing to accept our repentance, and you're willing to reshape us and remold us into the image of Christ again. Through the intercessions of all the disciples of the Last Supper, um, St. Peter and St. Mark and St. John, and all the saints who have pleased you, Lord, since the beginning, hear us when we say with all thanksgiving, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Lord. Amen. Whether you'd like more information on resources used in this episode, want to suggest a topic, or leave your feedback, please visit our website, emisher.com. And even if you just want to talk, feel free to reach out to one of your Eames sisters. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening and follow us on our Instagram and Facebook pages. 